Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Trois, and I'm really looking forward to this week's broadcast. Each week, we try to present you with the most diverse group of panelists and speakers that one can find anywhere. These range from theologians to portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, politicians, you name it. If they've written a book, we're going to have them on air talking about it. And by the way, we're not going to follow a scripted, organized discussion, but rather have a free-form discussion so that we can talk about the things that are top of mind, and more importantly, ask the questions that you would probably have asked yourself. Feel free to recommend the show to friends and colleagues, and with that, let's get on with this week's edition of Unhedged. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unhedged. This is Frank Troyce, and I'm again here honored to have with me Andres Smith. And Andres, we talked about a lot in that first segment strategically, and I think one of the things that selfishly I was looking forward to in this interview is your experience when you were in Asia, and what was that like? I think the first question our listeners would be interested in, they're certainly reading a lot about China. They're certainly reading a lot about Chinese fintech. What was it like for you as an executive managing a good-sized team in Singapore? What was your perception sitting across the table from these folks? And, and what was that like tactically to be there and, and, and you know, and interact with them? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was fascinating. I, um, having been born in South Africa, I, um, I was very early in my career, uh, you know, immersed in various different cultures and nuances and, and how to engage with those. Uh, and then when we spent time in the UK, I, I had a whole new skill to develop, and that is how do you adapt to a new culture? The, the irony was I also spent uh, some time with my family in, in Canada and, and working in that industry. So by the time I went to Singapore as the, the next phase in, in my career or as a family, I thought, why? It can't be different, right? I've, I've done these other three locations mm -hmm. and cultures, so surely um, I've got a bit of a skill or knack to this. And the truth is, I completely underestimated just, again, how new and different, uh, different it, it will be. Um, uh, by the way, I found it absolutely delightful. The, the, the culture, both professionally and privately in, in Asia, is unbelievably, what I, I would say, beautiful. Uh, it's something to experience and something to learn. But uh, I was a bit naive in thinking I can you know, really get my head around it very quickly. You know, from in Singapore, how do you engage with stakeholders? How do you engage with investors? How do you, uh, how, how do people think about hierarchy? Um, I was quite uh, uh, um, surprised, I must say, about just how strong that uh, deep cultural nuance about hierarchy and, 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 and levels and power is. I mean, I, I did the normal thing, right? You read up on these things and you speak to people who've been there and everybody said, you know, uh, be aware of that. But once you're emerged in it, um, then it is, it's quite different. 
Um, I, for, for the first time in my life, I was called a boss, <laughs> which sounds benign, but you know what? It was quite surprising, especially coming from the UK and Europe, where there's a, a big movement in leadership, you know, to be servant leaders and, and sort of, you know, open plan working and, and, and really breaking down the barriers, getting the best out of the people. It, it, was, a, it was a completely new uh, engagement method. Um, and specifically, what I found interesting is we had a lot of dealings, although I was based in Singapore, one of the key initiatives um, we worked on and, and that my team led was our new startup in Hong Kong. And again, that's much closer to China and you get much more of a Chinese influence. We also worked with some very large uh, Chinese and Hong Kong uh, investors, uh, co-investors with us in Tencent and Hill House. And again, yet that brought a whole new uh, a, a level of engagement and a, and a new cultural dynamic to work out uh, and, and explore. Uh, but like I said, I, I mean, I learned so much. It, it was almost, I, I use the phrase pressure cooker, not in a bad way, but in a, it is so different. You've got to learn so much so quickly. Um, and, and it was just a phenomenal experience. You know, that, let's talk to that a little further, because if we go to big picture, you were obviously working with and sitting across the table from, from some enormous institutions. What, what were, if you were talking to an audience today of, of Americans and Brits and South Africans, I mean, what, what, what would your advice be to them? What would be the top three things that you would say to them that if, you know, if you're going to China and we're negotiating or, or planning to do business with, you need to be thinking about ABC. What would, what would those be? You, you know what, the, the single biggest lesson I've learned throughout my career in all these various different locations is quite obvious, which is it's all about the relationships, right? Thinking you, and, and, and being South African, I'm quite direct. So our natural style is to just get on with it. it you know, it's from my Dutch German heritage. Um, we say it like it is. We say it like we see it. Um, what I found, uh, one of the biggest lessons in, in, in Asia um, was that you have to invest in the relationship much longer um, yeah. than you, what you would expect. And, and it's, it's seen actually as quite disrespectful if you get down to business too quickly. You, you really need to be aware of that nuance. Uh, there's also within that relationship building, uh, another thing I, I stumbled on is y you've really got to take account of the small detail right? Mm -hmm. Where you sit, how you talk, how you address, how you hand over your business cards, you know, just how you, let's use uh, sort of a word, how you dance in the conversation and in the relationship is, is a very sophisticated way. Um, I think uh, Anglo-Saxons and specifically in Britain, we, we tolerate a lot more, you know, you can be a little bit more rough and you can, you know, if you learn in the moment, that's okay. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit more open to making mistakes. But in, in Asia, I felt that you, you needed to plan for those engagements. You need to really think through them and, um, you know, execute really well. Yeah, you know, and to your point, it, it it it's almost like the the meeting itself is a formality and a and a ceremony. The the it, I had a bizarre experience recently where we were talking about this in the context of a meeting that we were helping put together, and the Asian counterpart uh, made the point of saying, "Oh, don't make a Trumpian mistake," meaning don't put two CEOs in a room with no clarity on what the outcome is, because by the time they're in a room, the deal should be done. Mm -hmm. You know, that it, it should just be formal and that they're drinking. And 
why, why, to your point on the relationship side, again, if somebody was coming over and, and they're a complete neophyte in the region, are, are you in fact saying to them, hey, you need to get a picture of the landscape. You need to understand to, to, to who the stakeholders are. You may need to do some groundwork for a few, even though the meeting might be the easiest thing to do. You could get the meeting tomorrow. Are, are you advocating to them, hey, take your time, get a sense as to what the mosaic looks like. You know what? You might want to put a couple of your lieutenants out there. Or can they just jump in the deep end of the pool and, and hope that they can get something done? I mean, every situation differs, but in, in my experience, um, you have to go slow to go fast, right? Thinking that you're going to fly in, shake hands and make a deal is not the right way in my experience that that didn't work for me, right? And, and I actually made those mistakes, you know, firsthand. What really works well is all the groundwork beforehand, the, the informal meeting before understanding who needs to pair off against who, um, understanding how your team engages and how the information flows, how you share. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would go as far as to say you need a, a series of meetings. Some of the most successful engagements I had was where the first two or even three of those kind of meetings were really informal. They were having lunch yeah. or breakfast or dinner, uh, and we didn't even talk about the actual deal. We talked about backgrounds and experiences and the company and sort of wider picture things. It's it's really in that getting to know each other uh, elements. I think in the in the West uh, where I spent most of my time, we have a we, we've become accustomed and to take action. We have these to do lists, these project plans, and I need to tick off my actions and I need to close the deal to hit my targets and all that kind of stuff. Um, I felt uh, Asia still, and, and, and it grounded me, but I, I felt Asia has a bit more respect for time. They need things to mature. They believe in if it is worth doing, it is worth waiting for. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was a bit of a stark punch in the face for me, but you know, on reflection, I think that is true. It helps you be more effective, not necessarily efficient, but if you place the focus in the right area, you know, my point about going slow to go fast, you need, really need to be thoughtful and measured and planned for. Don't knee jerk. Don't just throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. Now, now for the benefit of our users, the, the interesting little bit of inside baseball is that you and I have worked together and, and I've been on the receiving end of your, and I'm saying this as a friend, your, your, the part of you, that Dutch directness. And, and, and I think the interesting thing is having watched you calibrate the messaging and you, you alluded to something earlier that I think our listeners would really, really be interested in hearing your, your point on the boss is not lost. I remembered when I heard that for the first time, I thought it was a cliche. Like I was like, Oh, that's just some expression that people are using. But in fact, they refer to the boss. It's something like almost out of, out of a 1950s movie for us from, from, from the West. And to your, to your point, you, you have had, and when you were out in, in Asia, you had a serious mandate for entrepreneurship, innovation, and disruption. And you are also not a subtle personality. I think people can hear that in your voice during this broadcast. How did you manage around that where, where on the one hand, you, you're challenging the team to not look at what they did yesterday as status quo? You know, in other words, it might not be the right thing. At the same time, you, know, you are not afraid to lead having seen this firsthand, but back to your point where how do you empower them where culturally their inclination is to look to you anyway? 
at, as the boss. And, you know, how did you pull that off? Yeah, that was that was an interesting leadership challenge, um, you know. And again, I, I I went in there with this whole notion of empower your team, bring out the best of them, get them to speak up, you know, take initiative. Boom, we're gonna we're gonna rock this place. <laughs> and um, you know, I had to take a lot of tough self reflection medicine and realize that actually that doesn't work. Another mistake I made is my vision was too big. And therefore, people couldn't see it. It was un, it was not believable. Um, so we did. We, we spent a lot of time, and it took me honestly about nine to twelve months to really get the team to bloom. And, and, and it was something where we needed to take small steps, build momentum, and then more and more and more and faster and faster and faster. Um, literally down into the individual business unit leads, I had uh, the mini MDs or CEOs and all the way down to the scrum masters and the product uh, uh, owners. We needed to show them it is okay to speak up, to have ideas. The, the one thing that is phenomenal about Asia is their ability to execute. Boy, oh boy. I, I mean, I was so surprised when, when they buy in, when they decide internally that we are now going to do something, then it is phenomenal. The, the velocity, the speed and momentum they can create is just breathtaking. Uh, it, by far the most uh, powerful mechanism I've seen in, in all my experience across the continents. However, the inertia is at the beginning. They won't mobilize by themselves. And, and I'm, gen I'm vastly generalizing, right, just to, to create a bit of debate here. It is not true for everybody, so please don't, don't misunderstand me. But um, there, there's still this cultural reticence to say, I'm going to wait for the boss to make the decision, to give the instruction, and then it to cascade. Uh, now, that, that is just where I picked up the culture. The, the, the beauty and the power was in that that culture – once we gave them space to say, no, it's okay to fail. It's okay to try. It's okay to speak up and, and have ideas. We created momentum, which wasn't there before. Um, you know, some of the volumes in one of the business lines, uh, they quadrupled, literally 4x the business volume in 11 months, just because one of the guys in the technical team said, well, actually, if we just fix some of these steps, then the conversion rate would shoot through the roof. And it was just phenomenal. And, the, and, the, and again, the beauty was once that was that one little success popped out and people saw, one, it was good to speak up. Two, it was good to try. Three, if we failed, nothing bad happened. Four, when we tried, it actually worked and brilliant business results that was sort of the self-permeating, um, you know, kickoff. And, and, and from there, like they say, the rest is history. Did you find yourself as a, as a manager, you know, where, where you were in the room? And again, I, I can only imagine, I don't want to say it was resistance because I, I can't see anyone doing that overtly. I would say maybe it was just a lack of action where, you know, folks are putting out a bunch of ideas on the table. Deep down, you're saying to yourself, you know what, of the 10 things I heard today, I know that these two are absolutely not going to work. They're, they're going to completely fall on their face. Did you find yourself knowing full well it wouldn't work, that you let it fail in order for the example to be set that when they came back and said, hey, guess what, you know, it just didn't do what we expected it, where you were in a position to, to you know, cultivate that atmosphere of failure where you could say, no, that's totally fine. You know, even though you knew full well going into it that there was a high probability it wasn't going to work anyway. Absolutely. You, you, you have to. 
It's the only way. Um, you, you can't just lead through saying and talking. It has to be in the doing. Um, and, and that was one of the most important things. People had to see that you don't get fired for trying. In fact, you get promoted. We talked about it. And one of the things, um, as you well know, we did was weekly stand-ups. And, and it was all hands on deck demo sessions where it wasn't about tell me, it was about show me. Just show me what's going on, what, what you tried, where you learned, where you failed. Uh, and again, just by doing that week after week after week, there was a, a level of believability built and uh, people you know, became more ambitious and, and, and risk-taking. Uh, it, it was quite interesting, you know, your point around will it work, will it not. Um, I, I, again, please don't misunderstand. I'm, I'm using vast generalizations to illustrate something. Um, this is not a comment on any specific culture. Um, but the irony or the paradox for me was that in the West, we, I spent all my time um, convincing people it's a good idea, whereas in, in, in Asia, I spent all my time convincing people it's good to speak up and share your ideas, which, which, which is just mm -hmm. a, a fascinating lesson I had to learn yet again. Um, and, and, and how do you tweak your style towards that? Well, this is terrific. And, and Andre, selfishly, would you have a time for one more segment where we can kind of use that guidance and have you look around the corner as to what you see over the next five to 10 years? Would you have some more time for just one more segment? Yeah, sure. No problem. Perfect. All right. So for our listeners, we will uh, give our sponsors a quick commercial break and we will be right back with Andre Smith. Stay tuned. 